Hey, it's Yuli here, and I'm your host today for this show. And today I'm talking to Seth Brown. Seth is the CEO of Lulabot. Lulabot is a 100% distributed agency company. I really think you will really love this conversation. So besides being the CEO of a 50-plus person remote company, uh, you will learn the following things in today's conversation. You will hear about legal aspects you need to watch for if you want to grow a remote company and basically learn from Lullaby's mistakes. You will hear Seth's experience from being in a remote company versus a co-located company, which he was before Lullaby. You'll hear how Lullabot are instilling culture and values in 50 distributed people that are not working in the same place, and many more tactics and tools that they're using from an operational perspective to run a remote team. Hope you enjoy. All right, Seth, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. I'm glad to be here. Um, I thought we could start maybe by you sharing more about yourself and maybe introducing more about yourself, uh, who that is, and what you're up to. Absolutely. So I work at a company called Lullabot, and we've been distributed or remote uh, since our inception in 2006. Uh, I joined the company in 2010. I'm the chief operating officer, and I came from another digital agency that was co-located um, and here in Colorado where I live. But, uh, once I joined a distributed company, I've never really looked back. And I think for Lullabot being distributed really had its origins in the open source community of Drupal, which is the content management system that Lullabot uses to build websites for our clients. Um, and we sort of, needed to hire the best Drupal developers and there were already great collaboration tools even back in 2006 for the community to use, like IRC at the time, to, to talk to each other and work, work remotely together on the source code. And so we just took that model and applied it to the company and have been growing ever since. Uh, right now we're about 50 people. Um, at our max, we were 60. Uh, and then we spun off our, our learning, our teaching and learning um, division uh, as another company, which is also distributed now called Drupalize Me. Uh, and that's sort of our, our sister company. So that's a little bit about me. All right. All right. And you were distributed from day one? Distributed from day one. Yeah. And, and I would say like back at a time when a lot of the things that have been figured out and are a little bit easier to, to do, um, not the least of which is explaining to your parents that you work for a distributed company. Um, At the time, you know, I guess it was a, a bit more harder. challenging to explain. <laughs> yeah, they were a lot harder back in 2006. So you, right. you would just get blank stares when you said, you know, we have no office. They'd be like, you have no office? And they look at you like, maybe you're not totally legit, you know, or above board. So like, you know. All right. So you are the CEO, um, Chief Operating Officer. I guess it makes you the operations uh, expert. Um, I'm wondering, what does the CEO role mean to you in general as the role which you're having right now? And maybe you could share uh, with us a few things from an operational perspective that makes Lullabot run remotely with success. Sure, absolutely. So first, to your first question of you know, what is a COO? What does a CO do? And, and I think that varies. Sometimes a COO is mostly concerned with administrative operations, human resources, payroll, um, you know, security, technology, those sorts of things. 
Uh, another meaning of the title is, is when you have someone who's really concerned with the day-to-day operations of whatever the company's core business is. And I come more from that side uh, of things. I started out as a project manager um, for large Drupal projects and then kind of worked my way into running like our day-to-day production operations. Um, so while the admin team does report up to me, they're pretty self-sufficient. Um, and as far as what some of the things that we've done to, to be successful as a distributed company, uh, you know, that's a question that you could answer on so many levels. Um, sure, at right, a right. Culture and values, um, in a culture and values sense, I think we started out uh, looking for people that had already demonstrated the skills to be sort of managers of one uh, in the open source community that we all worked in. So we were looking for highly productive, you know, superstars within the Drupal community who treated people well, uh, who were good writers, uh, who were able to really function in the open source community. And then we, we started hiring those people and that our culture really sprang from that almost fully formed. And it was more the job of, of writing down our values uh, that we already had, that we had already sort of started to live than it was to like come up with our values from scratch and kind of figure out, well, you know, who do we want to be when we grow up? Um, so that was a nice, a nice leap forward into being a distributed company. We just had a lot of people that were really good at self-management. They were highly productive already in their roles in the open source community. And so we figured that would translate well to a company and it did. Um, some of the more recent developments that I think are a little bit more logistical that have made it way easier to be a distributed company. Um, I would definitely point to us moving to a PEO, a professional employment organization. You may have heard of some of these, like TriNet is a big one. Uh, Insperity is another. What and, is this exactly? Can you elaborate? Yeah. I, I don't think I've, I, I ever heard of it. Okay, so PEOs or professional employment organizations are basically co-employers for your employees. And they provide things like payroll, human resources, uh, educational resources. They deal with state compliance. And when you're distributed, that's like a huge headache to, to like, okay, you know, do we have the right PTO regulations to fulfill California or even Legal. San Francisco? Mm-hmm while also having the right healthcare requirements in Iowa. And did we do the right things for our nexus in New York? And so basically there's all these things that you have to think of when you start hiring people in different states, not to mention different countries. And as a small company, you know, 50 people or less, it's really hard to stay on top of all that kind of stuff. You know, you're getting letters from the state saying you owe this tax or you you have nexus here and you've got to pay us or, you know, those sorts of things. And so complying with all of those regulations across all of those states uh, is difficult and it opens up a company to a lot of liability if they do something wrong, even if they do it inadvertently. Uh, So professional employment organization or PEO kind of comes in and they are the co-employer of your employees. They handle payroll, they handle regulations, they handle a bunch of other things that used to be a real headache for us. And now we can depend on RPO as Insperity to deal with all of those things, which is really nice. Um, that's that's a, a was a quantum leap for us 
uh, in terms of being a distributed company that you know we could start to sleep a lot easier knowing we were complying with all of these arcane regulations and rules that we needed to follow for various states and even countries. So Lullabot has employees in the UK, United Kingdom, uh, and Canada. And in both cases, we're also using a PEO to manage compliance in those countries. Mm -hmm. Do you have some examples of those core employers? And I'm asking because I think it's something that most people may not be fully aware of, like all the legal implications, as you're saying, from hiring people from all over the world in the state. Uh, do you have a few examples? I can definitely add them to the show notes. Uh, for people yes. listening in. Yeah. So I mentioned um, Insperity as, as one. Uh, I would also mention Trinet as another one that I've heard a lot about. Um, there's some newer ones. There's a company called Oasis, uh, which I think is a newer uh, PEO. And then I think ADP, who handles payroll for a lot of businesses, also has uh, a PEO that they call Total Source. Um, so that may be something that, you know, if you're already using uh, ADP for your payroll, as, as many companies do, you know, you might want to look at their PEO offering. Nice. I'll make sure to add it to the show notes. So you mentioned in the beginning that you were working before in a co-located agency. And right now, Lullabot is 100% distributed. So you have a very interesting experience for working in kind of maybe same industry, uh, also fully remotely, full distributed. And you have the experience of being in an office and kind of providing maybe the same services based on my understanding. I'm wondering maybe you can talk about this and the difference which you experience um, from those two things and what is better if there is even one better? Yeah. Well, at least by the standard of my own happiness, uh, I would say working uh, within a distributed company, working remote has been um, better. You know, I, I don't have- That's an important standard. <laughs> yes, that's an important standard, exactly. Maybe the most important. Okay. Um, I don't have to commute. Um, I have a lot of space to structure my day around the needs of my spouse and my children um, in ways that I might not, or in ways that I didn't when I worked at my former employer, um, the, the co-located agency. Um, I also feel like I'm more productive within the hours that I have in a day. Like I actually get more done uh, asynchronously than I do uh, or than I did when I was distracted constantly by people walking through the office and water cooler chatter and, you know, birthday cake and all the other things that kind of happen in an office that are, that are kind of fun for a while, but also a little, you know, distracting. Um, so I have a lot more time in my day. Um, I did take an office. So about two years ago, as my daughters, I have three daughters, got to be a certain age. Uh, I just felt like I could no longer work from home with all of those distractions. And so I ended up um, renting some space uh, at a local uh, business collective here in Carbondale, Colorado, where I live, um, where, you know, for a couple hundred bucks a month, I'm able to have a place to go and do my work and, and be productive. And I know that, you know, many people that work at um, distributed companies end up working at co-working spaces or, you know, take an office if they can afford it. Uh, and I definitely think that's really useful as a way to stay focused because if you're home, it's just so easy to 
you know, do the laundry, you know, tend to the garden, like all the things that just kind of have a gravity of their own. The kids need personal life and personal stuff. Yeah. But, you know, I like having the occasional day at home where I, maybe I'm on a lot of conference calls and I can cook a meal while I'm listening into a conference call that I don't have to be particularly vocal. So I like the lifestyle I like of, of the um, distributed company. But going back to your question about, you know, distributed versus co-located, what are some of the trade-offs? Well, I do think there are certain types of conversations in projects that need to happen that are more at the strategic and planning level than at the code, writing code or execution level that actually happen better when you can all meet in a conference room, you know, especially if, let's say you're serving local clients as a web agency and you can bring the client in and the PMs in and the developers in and you all have a whiteboard and stuff like that. Certain, there, there's no replacing FaceTime for some of those strategic conversations. So I end up traveling a lot uh, in this job to go to client onsites and do those things in person. And that can you know, be expensive, both in terms of time and money to do that. And I think you have to be ready to make some of those trade-offs. Um, the other difference that I would point to, and this is kind of a nerdy COO thing, is the savings in uh, your bottom line for being distributed is huge. So Lullabot, you know, we compare ourselves to a lot of other companies uh, through our accountancy, uh, a company called Summit CPA. And they've got a huge amount of digital agencies that they do accounting for uh, or CFO services for. And so they give us anonymized comparisons across the board. And one of the things that we've noticed is that while our gross margin, so basically our total revenue minus the cost of goods sold, which is the amount of money we spent to produce the work um, that we're getting paid for, is a little bit lower as a percentage, but then our net profit is much higher than our peers. And that's because we don't have that office, the chairs, the computers, like we don't own any of that. We don't have to pay for those things. So it allows us to pay our people higher salaries, which is really our main expense. And the reason that you know we're seeing that slightly lower uh, gross margin, but our, our net profit, our bottom line is actually superior again, because we're distributed. So that's something to love for an owner of a distributed business or a manager of a distributed business is you can save a lot of money. And, and I should mention that that's even with us spending around $100,000 a year to bring everyone together for a week in Palm Springs for a retreat, you know, where we all get to, to uh, retreat. be in person, yeah, have a retreat, talk um, about the business of the company um, you know, the work, all of those sorts of things. Yeah, no, I think anyone and any kind of owner would be more than happy to save money. <laughs> so it's not just the yeah. nerdy thing. And yeah, it's very interesting that you're still saving money after you're spending it on the company retreat and other things. And yeah, I guess those are some of the things you don't really see um, yeah. when you have an office. Although you don't have an office. My, my previous agency did, you know, have a mortgage and was buying a building over a long period of time. And you know, that is, that, depending on how that real estate investment works out, you know, if you can swing that, that could be a, a huge asset. Right, right. That's great. So the next thing maybe I want to ask is when I was doing some of my prep for today's call, I read a really great article, which I believe you posted on the Little Book website, which kind of maybe touched me personally. 
uh, which talked about the potential benefits of the environment, which is just a really interesting topic for me because when you're working remotely, the company, anyone distributed, they're not really commuting. So maybe less car exposure and other things. So I'm wondering if you can talk about it and hear your perspective on how all about doing today, like in terms of is just really uh, thought to hear your perspective on it. Sure, absolutely. So that was a lot of fun. That article was a lot of fun to write and research. But I have to say that my hypothesis going in was that working remotely was just going to save huge amounts of, of carbon emissions. Um, and so what I kind of did was I compared, you know, my, my commuting with an automobile at my, my job before Lullabot to my current situation. And while I did save a lot of emissions on the car, the thing that I did not account for and really shocked me was how much uh, planes are, are, you know, major CO2 crimes, like environmental crimes. Like it's just, there's no comparison between flying and driving. And so if you have to fly a lot for like a sales position, like I'm in or whatever, you know, for a distributed company, you're probably going to take you know, X number of flights more per year than you might have if you were working in a co-located company, you've got to look at the carbon that you're putting out and doing that. And it was disturbing. I mean, it was almost worse working for a distributed company because of the, the, air, the airplane travel. So we found uh, an environmental service called TerraPass, which is a carbon offsets, a reputable carbon offsets company. Um, and whenever we do our team retreats, whenever we do big trips, um, the company Lullabot buys carbon offsets for everybody that's traveling to try to offset that impact. And if you do that, then I think you really are, you know, net positive uh, as a distributed company. But yeah, the 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 results of that exploration were surprising to me because I thought it was going to be a slam dunk. And it turned out to be a little more complicated because of the extra um, air travel. Nice. Um, I love that you're doing it and love that you're doing things to improve the environment for your efforts. So uh, please continue doing it. So you talked about the fact that you're 50 people and you're all distributed. How many people were you in Lullabot when you joined? You were already around 50 or you were a bit less at the time? No, great question. So when I joined, I was uh, employee number 15. Um, and some of those other people have left because, you know, just over time you lose people or because, um, we actually spun off, like I mentioned earlier, our sister company, the education company, Drupalize Me. But, um, I was hired with four other, um, folks to start Lullabot's client services division. Before that, we were purely an education and consulting company. And what ended up happening was that business or, or those, those, the five of us who are all still at Lullabot, that business ended up kind of eating the rest of Lullabot and becoming our main business. Um, and I had just come off of uh, a growth curve with my previous agency uh, where I was employee number three and we grew to 30 while I was there. So I, was, I had a good perspective on what Lullabot needed to do to take that next step from 15 to 30 and you know now we're 50 and we we had been as big as, as 60 at one point before we spun off Drupalize Me. So um, yeah, there's a there's a lot of transitions that happen as you go through those numbers and it's hard 15, to 15, 30, 50. Yeah, th- yep. Um, 
Could you share a few examples just of differences or maybe something you had to change? Because what I'm thinking is also, I mean, you don't see each other. It's just something I'm sometimes thinking about. Like right now you have 50 people and you don't see them day to day. Of course, like there's video, but sometimes face to face. What are maybe some of the things which come to mind? Uh, sure. Which is different or helped you? When you're, you know, 15 people or less, pretty much everyone can know everything almost organically, like just by getting up in the morning and hopping on IRC and, you know, talking to each other, chatting, you can have a team call where everybody can speak and, and have their voice heard. And, and those things, the communication happens a little more seamlessly, even when you're remote. Like, as you know, it's a lot easier to be seven people on a video conference call, you know, than 50, right? And, and even I recently, can imagine, yeah. Yeah, we, we've only recently even had video calls that work with more than 10 people um, as, as a technology that's, that's something that you know, works reliably. Um, so a lot of the growth as a distributed company is figuring out how to scale communication. So communication starts off, it's kind of easy. You, everybody kind of just takes in the daily news organically or through osmosis, just being part of the company Slack or IRC in the case of Lullabot when we first started. Um, but as you get bigger, you got to start being more intentional about communication and communication stops being simply like peer to peer, everybody to everybody and starts having to be a little bit more hierarchical where you need to have, you know, layers of management. You need to have, um, systems to like, let me give you a, for example here, cause I'm, I'm being a little obtuse. Uh, our team call got to the point where we could no longer do it in an hour. If everybody was going to speak for two, you minutes. mean all the company together, every 50 yeah. people together. Yeah. So weekly we would all get on a call and in the beginning of Lullabot, it was just everybody talking whenever they wanted about whatever they want. And you know, it was just a conference call, but as we grew, you know, that, suddenly we had to limit people to two minute turns. And then as we grew even more, we couldn't even do that. So we had to create a script that would randomly, you know, pick uh, a certain number of people to talk for two minutes each. And then the directors would speak at the end. Um, and now one of the things that that did is it kind of cut off some of that nice uh, every node to every node in the company talking to each other type communication. So we had to create a new call that we called the serendipity call and that became our second call of the week. And the idea with that is we get randomly grouped into groups of five people and those five people can talk kind of like the old days, you know, everybody to everybody. Um, and is so more of a fun talk or just specific agenda? There's no agenda. So a lot of it is about, you know, personal lives. I mean, it's kind of replacing the water cooler chat or the going out to lunch conversations that would happen at a co-located company where people know about each other's families and personal lives and hobbies and, you know, can kind of exchange information at that level, which is an important way for humans to get to know each other and trust each other. Um, the other advantage that we've had, and I would attribute this to being a distributed company because I don't think we're exceptionally amazing as a company is that, We've had really long longevity, and I noticed this was in, in your blog post about the top 25 benefits of hiring uh, and you know retaining it in a distributed company. It's people stay, like they don't leave, right? You know, and, and that's a beautiful thing uh, because they're happy with their lifestyle, with how it works with their family, their kids, all of those things. 
you end up with really good retention. So the average Lullabot employee at this point has been in the company for five years. That's our average tenure. So when you're building relationships over that long period of time, you, you make space for that personal connection and it really grows and develops to the point at which I feel like when we go to our team retreats, it, it almost feels like a family reunion, you know, like you're coming together with your family. And uh, I think that's a beautiful thing about distributed companies in general. Nice. I love it. Are there any other communication practices you have? And I know you, you touched about something, but it's just a topic which really, really interesting because I know when you're working remotely, sometimes you need to over-communicate with something. I noticed again, since there's no face-to-face interaction and you need to over make sure you write and everything is clear because uh, you can't just jump in the desk and, hey, like that's what I talk, that's what I meant. And otherwise, there are lots of delays. Are there any... Maybe what's the right question? Are there any other communication practices you have right now or those with change across the years as you grew? Because as you said, it's very different from 50 people. Like, are you making sure everyone is over-communicating even in terms of day-to-day or tasks? I uh, just thought maybe you can elaborate a bit more on uh, that aspect. Yeah, it's a great question. I think that some of that depends if you're a digital agency, let's say. Do you have lots and lots of small clients um, where, you know, a person might be working on three or four different projects at the same time? There's maybe 50 projects going on across the company. In that way, I would think having a software tool and like Trackly, you know, to to sort of manage all of that um, from the the top down and make sure that you can... Uh, control it, push tasks down, have communication flow back up um, is critical. For Lullabot, we've been lucky enough that we tend to work on fully dedicated assignments for like, let's say four to five anchor projects at a time across the whole company. And what ends up happening there, which is a little bit different, is we end up having to use whatever communication tools our clients impose on us. So most of the time it's things like Jira, you know, Slack for, for chat, um, Confluence as a wiki. Uh, it's not always the same though. And because these are big, big organizations with big digital teams and Lullabot is just a part of it, it's just augmenting those other teams. Those people have to really plug into those communication streams. And, and that can make uh, the other ways in which we communicate even more important because, you, you know, like there's some Lullabots that have been on a a particular project we have for five years cons- consecutively, like full-time, they work on this other project. They, they have roles in this other company, even though they still work for Lullabot. And so the serendipity calls, the team retreats, the team calls. And then also we do use Yammer um, as a way to have sort of an internal social network for people to post about personal things that are going on. Um, we use Slack in all sorts of ways. And we also do things like we'll do little um, kind of show and tells where we get everybody together and people just kind of say, here's what I'm working on. Here's this cool technology or, you know, hey, look what happens to a fork if you put it in a microwave. It actually catches fire or no, I'm not kidding. But yeah, <laughs> don't do it at home. Yeah, don't do that. at home. No, we, we just uh, we like to share as much as we can with each other outside of work, because sometimes work is an island unto itself for various individuals. Does that make sense? It does completely. And then uh, no, I love all your suggestions. I think those are great ones. Um, 
Do you think remote work is the future of work? Hmm. I think it might be the future of, of white collar computer work. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it's the future of work in general. Uh, that's, that's a harder question to answer because there are so many jobs that still need people to be local to the job. Um, but Let's yeah, when it comes to a computer, yeah, I know like a chefs will not be able to do that work for a computer. Yeah. Or construction workers or, you know, plumbers, whatever. But I do think that it's going to become an increasingly larger percentage of the workforce. And I think it is a very humane way for people to work because they have so much more autonomy um, with their schedule. And because it's really results-based, it kind of cuts through the BS. Like you can't just show up at work at your desk before everyone and leave after everyone else. And people are going to say, oh, that Bob, you know, he's a go-getter. He's a hard worker. I always see him at his desk. Like that doesn't apply at all. So it really comes down to regardless of how long you're working or when you're working, it's what are the results of your work? And I think there's an honesty in that, that weeds out people that shouldn't be doing certain, a certain job maybe, but also means that the people who are really good at it can have a lot more flexibility with their schedule and their time to live their life in a way that suits their, their biorhythms. You know, I mean, there's lullabots that live on the West coast who like to wake up at 11 in the morning and don't go to bed till 3 a.m. And then there's the European lullabots who are, you know, starting their day really, really early by U.S. time zone standards and signing off by, you know, 6 p.m. Um, Greenwich mean time. And they're gone for a lot of the day. And those two people may not even intersect very much during a day at the extremes. Um, but you figure out how to communicate and Anyone living in between those extremes also has a huge range of times that they can show up based on when it works for them to sleep, when it works for them to exercise, when it works for them to take their kids, um, you know, to afternoon activities or sports, you know, and if they need to make food or whatever it is for the family, you can work around all of those things. You just have to watch out that you don't get too fuzzy with those boundaries because I think you can end up in a situation where you're never really at work and you're never really at home. You know, you're, you're kind of always doing both. And I think that would drive yeah, It's a dangerous place. place, I agree. Yeah. Would you maybe have any an advice for other remote companies listening in for if they want to uh, maintain and grow their business? I think you have a really interesting perspective because you have such great longevity, as you mentioned right now, and all about, I mean, you're not up and running only for one year and most of your people are there for many, many years and you're growing. So that's why I think you really have an interesting perspective. Is there any advice which you can give you think for other remote companies besides what we talked about? Sure. I would give, I would actually list some of this advice as our mistakes. Um, we were very uh, promiscuous in expanding to new locations, you know, right off the bat, like hiring in different States hiring in different countries, just, we were just going to hire the talent wherever they live. And it was a fairly competitive market for talent. So in some ways we really needed to be flexible, but man, did that create a lot of headaches. And if I was a distributed company growing intentionally and intelligently and doing it all over again, I would perhaps only hire 
in the United States or only hire in Canada if I was Canadian. Um, and then... Are you referring from a time zone perspective or from a culture perspective? Because it is... No, actually for the regulations and taxes, regu- legal. taxes mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff. Like there's a lot of complications and expenses that come with that. And we talked about PEOs earlier and they do go a long way to helping solve some of those issues. Um, but you really don't want to be spending, you know, half your time deciding if you're in compliance with all of uh, California's regulations and the other half, am I complying with New York's regulations? Um, you know, and those are two of the more difficult states, but thinking about, you know, intentional, uh, expansion, it's, again, it's not so much about time zones, um, but it's, it's all of the regulations. And the other thing that I would say is, you can have contractors more easily. And there's a lot of IRS regulations around that. You gotta be careful. But a model that I see a lot of distributed companies use is you hire digital nomads wherever they are, but hire them as contractors. Don't actually make them employees, um, which gives them a maximum of flexibility with their own tax situations, office situations, you know, et cetera. Meanwhile, you know, you get to, you maybe pay a slightly higher price for labor, but you avoid some of the complexities and intricacies early on of hiring and and even some of the responsibilities. Uh, It also allows you um, as a smaller company to expand and contract more easily with the work without ever having to lay people off or, you know, rehire people and, and go through the roller coaster of those kinds of ups and downs that I think are more likely to happen when you're a smaller, quickly growing company. I love those advices. Is there any challenges you think of distributed teams and remote work which haven't been solved yet, uh, which you maybe personally experience still uh, today? Oh yeah, that is such a great question. I would answer that in a very with a very probably unorthodox answer, which is. <laughs> So human beings, by their nature, tend to think the grass is always greener. And when you start out, everybody is absolutely thrilled to be a distributed company, to have the freedoms of remote work, to have the autonomy of remote work. But when you get to a point where everybody has been at a company for five to 10 years, five to 15 years, and they're really wanting companionship and, and uh, human connection, you may start losing people to literally like the grass is always greener back on the co-located side, like people wishing that they could have more of that. And I think the answer to that is not to, you know, have people um, leave the company and go back to more traditional companies that where all the employees work in one room. I think the answer to that is that we really need more than just in big cities, great co-working spaces where people can come together, they can have human connections, they can support each other. They may not work for the same organization, they may work together as like bands of contractors, but we need that in more than just, you know, New York, San Francisco, Dallas, you know, like the big cities where, where those places exist. We need more uh, community sort of co-working spaces in rural America or rural Canada or, you know, I don't know Europe, the European landscape as well. So I, I hesitate to speak to that, but um, 
it took me a long time to find that in my area. Uh, and it's only just starting to happen, you know, outside of the big cities. And I think for remote work to really succeed, people are going to need a place to go to have human connection, to have an office, to have to get out of their house so they're not so distracted. Um, and I don't think we have the infrastructure built out for that yet. That's a super interesting perspective uh, to think about. And yeah, as I mentioned, maybe to solve, quote unquote, this challenge for um, the future years. Um, we are yeah, getting a get If you're out there listening to this, <laughs> thinking of starting a co-working space in a, in a smaller place where there aren't the big, you know, WeWorks or whatever, you know, companies, man, I think that would be an interesting business to start getting into because I think there's going to be more and more remote workers in every town in America that love their town, love their lifestyle, love their kids' schools, but don't, after a point, don't want to work at the house or don't have space at the house to work. Yeah, I, I actually chatted to a guy that's funny. I think I keep promoting him again and again, <laughs> but their company is liquid space and they actually do offer such a solution, like they offer temporarily co-working solutions for people that roll around, I know, the States, Canada, uh, Australia, maybe that's something worth for you checking out. And just because I heard like some other people also having this challenge and that's the only company I maybe I heard about with tackling this problem, but there's definitely lots of improvement and things to be done there, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we are getting closer to the end of the show. I know we can geek out on lots of remote work and operational stuff more, uh, but I want to respect your time. Um, I thought we can end up with a few uh, personal slash fun questions. Are you up for it? I would love that. So what's a fun or exciting thing you've done the last week? Um, this last week. Uh, so I do a lot of, of um, mountain biking, uh, rafting and climbing because of where I live here in Carbondale. And those things are all really close. So I think one of the coolest things that I've done in the last week is taking a conference call uh, on a hike on a mountain nearby that's you know near my office where I can literally just walk. I'm in the wilderness, I'm on a trail and I'm, you know, this, it's beautiful. It's springtime and I'm still participating in quote unquote work. You know, it's like I'm working, but I'm also hiking in a beautiful place. And I think that remote work is particularly conducive to those kinds of magical experiences that you have sometimes where you're just like, man, is this really work? Like, this is great. And I even find that when I'm hiking, I actually listen better to than, than when Sam's staring at a computer screen and there's Slack notifications and email and da 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 and, You know, it's easy to zone out and start focusing on two things at once, which the human mind is not very good at. Is there any ritual or habit which you started doing in the last one year, which you wish you would have started maybe a bit earlier? Oh man, that's a, that's a deep rabbit hole, but I, I, yes, I would say the thing that just I just one, <laughs> just one. Okay. Uh, you can do more. I mean, you, your choice. Yeah. Intermittent fasting. Um, so that's kind of random personal, but like basically, uh, it, when you wake up instead of having, you know, breakfast or whatever, what I'll do is I'll have coffee, just black coffee. And then I won't really eat again till noon. And I noticed that I have a lot more focus, um, a more sustained energy. Um, it saves a little bit of time, but most of all, it lets your insulin system rest in between eating. If you're only eating within a window of say noon to six. And I think that 
given how much sitting we do and how much eating we do as Americans, looking at these types of things might be really beneficial for others. Um, and what's your favorite reading material? Uh, I still love novels. I was an English major. Um, I'm just finishing Hawaii by James Mishner, which is a really old book and love in the time of cholera by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. You know, I'm, I'm constantly reading novels, particularly, you know, classics. And I feel like I get a lot of perspective on people, on how humans work, uh, which helps me as a manager from that. Um, Seth, where can people find you online and where can people maybe find Lullabot? Where would you want to send them if they uh, want to check you guys out as well? I laugh when you ask that because I, I just shut down my Twitter account this week. I deactivated Twitter. I've been thinking about Congratulations. Facebook. Yeah, I'm a little... I'm a little frustrated with what's happened to... You're bolder than me. <laughs> yeah, it was not easy. It's, it's a big, big decision. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of the open web, of open ecosystems. And I'm not super thrilled with what's happened in our country, um, and particularly the role that social media has played in that. And I don't really like the way that social media constructs us Uh, as, as individuals. So best place to get me, uh, it, I have to say, is probably uh, email seth at lullabot.com. And frankly, Lullabot has presences on all of the social media outlets and you can look for us there. Sounds awesome. Um, seth, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today about uh, Lullabot, uh, maybe kicking out on many other remote uh, strategies and things you're doing in your company. And I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Yuli. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Small quest before you leave. So if you enjoyed the show, we would really appreciate to receive a five-star review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. That can really help. And we also would love to hear any feedback that you have. Anything else you want us to ask anyone coming to the show? Anything you want to change, improve, add, or something you like? Really, any feedback, we really, really appreciate it.